What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 58 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com, and you can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. On the other line, another special guest. He's back, Josh ADHD at FantasyADHD on Twitter of RotoViz, RotoGrinders, and, of course, 2QBs. And, you know, FantasyADHD.com, of course. We can't forget that. All the great apps and, and Viz tools that Josh has created for us there. Um, how you doing, Josh, man? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back. It's, uh, you know, last time I was on, we ended up breaking into a two-parter because I, I couldn't shut up talking about best ball leagues and whatnot. Um, but, you know, I, I'm doing great. Uh, football season's been a lot of fun. You know, we talked about pre-show. It, it's been a bit frustrating just because some of the curveballs it's thrown this year. But, you know, in that regard, it's like every year. So, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. So I'm kind of excited to talk about that. And, um, you know, it's good to be here. How have you been? I've been good, man. Like you said, it's it's been a crazy season. It's always a crazy season. And shoot, we, we've got a bunch of those curveballs to discuss. But you mentioned best ball, and I kind of wanted to get your pulse on that. Are you the type of person who checks your best ball results at this point in the season, or are you waiting until the end of the year before you even sniff that stuff? You know, I'll take a peek just because um, I don't remember a lot of the teams that I drafted. You know, I'll remember guys that I was heavy on. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I had them all on the same teams. So I just take a peek and I, I wait until after week four to take my first peek. And I was like, oh, OK, you know, I, I can deal with that. That's it's not terrible and it's not, you know, just blowing me away. Amazing. It's just kind of that's what you would get out of 25 leagues. Off the top of your head, who uh, who've been your biggest hits in best ball so far? Were you on the Will Fuller bandwagon? Uh, I have a little bit of Will Fuller. I had him super early, uh, like in my March and April drafts. And I was taking him like in the 13th and 14th round. And I got off of him for a little while um, once they took Deshaun Watson, but just because of the uncertainty surrounding the quarterback situation. And then later on in the fall, when it started to look like, you know, a little more certainty there, and Will Fuller in some cases dropped into the 19th and 20th round, I started to acquire a little bit more of him. Anybody else that, that's jumped out at you that you are a little bit more exposed to? Oh, yeah. A guy like Austin Superior Jenkins, he's been a huge hit. Nice. Cameron Bray. You know, at tight end, I did really good at tight end so far. You know, knock on wood. I, I, I had my share of Tyler Eifert's and Greg Olson's on my roster. But, you know, it seems like every one of those teams has been backed up with Bray or Safarian Jenkins that have really kind of just – they've made that possible. They made it so those teams aren't just total, you know, barn fires. Uh, you know, at Kenny Britt, I was super heavy on Kenny Britt all offseason. He was probably my most drafted player, and we see how that's worked out so far. You know, his head's not in the right place, and he just looks like a lost soul in Cleveland where, you know, where souls appear to go to die. So, you know, hopefully he he finds a way to resurrect his season in the second half. I'm not hopeful at this point, but it sure would help a lot of my rosters. Uh, you know, the other player that I have drafted quite a bit of, that's that's really worked out for me is uh i can't remember the name right now oh yeah it's chris hogan so chris hogan was next to kenny Britt, my most drafted player and i think i had him in 80 percent of my drafts and you know he's just been a, a real blessing so far especially on a lot of those rosters where your early picks just burn up in flames due to a, a, an injury or something like that yeah especially when you could have been more heavily invested on like the malcolm mitchell side of that coin right where you, you sometimes it's you, you just get lucky you end up on the right side of the injury yeah man best ball's a, a trip just thinking about just thinking about it makes me want to go check all my rosters but i'm the type of person who doesn't look into that stuff week to week i might like you said dip in every once in a while to take a look but um, i haven't checked that stuff probably since 
week two. Just I, I think I was looking for certain injuries just to see how exposed I was to those. But let's get into the two QB news. Let's recap week six. Uh, back to the the basics here when it comes to the two QB XB pod. And we got to start with the big news: Aaron Rodgers broken collarbone, likely out for the regular season. Not really confirmed yet. But uh, what what do you think about Brett Hundley? We know that the weapons around him are good, but we really haven't had that big of a sample size of him on the field. I'm cautiously optimistic, if only because, like I said, I like the team there. But, yeah, it's it's hard to trust a guy who you haven't seen before, right? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to play this like Rodgers is out for the year, because if he has a collarbone requiring surgery, I mean, we're looking at probably eight to ten weeks here. Because and, and I'm referencing, you know, for me, personal history is Tony Romo, who broke his twice in the last five years. And one injury was four weeks. He came back. He broke it again. That needed surgery, and so that was, you know, they stuck him on IR. That was an eight to ten week injury. So I'm going to treat this like an IR situation for Rodgers for fantasy purposes because he's not going to be back in time for the playoffs. So far as Hundley is concerned, I'm really optimistic on Hundley, but uh, I'm going to hedge a little bit on going overboard on him because I don't know what Mike McCarthy is going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he is so accustomed to using Aaron Rodgers the way that Aaron Rodgers can thrive. And that's with zero protection and having him run for his life every play and turn every play into this, you know, masterful wizardry. And we don't know if Hundley can do that yet. Now, can Hundley do that if he gets all the first team snaps every week and develops a rapport with his receivers? I totally think that's possible. He certainly has the athletic skill set to do that. Not that he was a running quarterback in college, but he's very mobile, has a great arm and a and fantastic brain inside of his head. And I think he has all the tools that are going to be required for him to excel in that offense. So I'm very optimistic. I'm going to go really hard on him in waivers uh, just because the offense that's surrounding him and his skill set as a quarterback. Well, and the other thing to like about his situation is that there is a lot of continuity. Like while he hasn't been in a starting role there for a long time, he's been on that team for a long time. He knows the system. He knows the playbook. He knows the players. He should be fine if he's a competent quarterback. So that's the question. Is he a competent quarterback? Now, you mentioned you're treating this like Aaron Rodgers is out for the year. Are you dropping him where you have him in redraft leagues? I think you have to. I don't think you can have a guy that, that sits on your on your team for eight to ten weeks. Even if you think you're a playoff contender while he heals up, I mean, you're going to need that roster spot. Unless you're in like a super deep league where you can sustain carrying, you know, let's say three quarterbacks or four quarterbacks – you know, a lot of my two QB rosters, I, I usually only carry two and I keep it razor thin because typically, you know, in a season we see that, you know, you're starting anywhere from 48 to 55 quarterbacks during the course of a year. You're going to be able to find a guy on waivers if you absolutely got to have one. So, you know, I'd say if, if you can, if you have the ability to carry a lot of quarterbacks and sit on a guy, you know, do that. Otherwise, man, put him on waivers, let him be somebody else's problem. I totally agree. I think that if you have a deep bench, that's the one place where you can consider holding on to him. But as we've talked about already, there have been so many injuries. There have been so much just tumult in this season as a whole, not just the quarterback position, at running back, at wide receiver, especially at tight end, that you don't really have room to, to bank on guys like this coming back. Now, this isn't a David Johnson situation where he got hurt early in the year, and there is you know a timetable that puts him back into play for your fantasy playoffs and maybe even for the last couple weeks of the fantasy regular season. Like Aaron Rodgers, if he comes back like – maybe the last week of the season, maybe the second last week of the season. They, and if they're probably just going to hold them out to the playoffs, assuming they can make the playoffs. And I mean, playoffs, I mean, NFL playoffs, right? Like week 18, week 19, 
and even that's in question. So I, I'm with you. I think you can drop him if, especially if your if your bench is shallow enough and, and you need that roster spot. And, and aggressively targeting Hundley seems like the right play. Everyone's going to be doing that in your two quarterback leagues. So with that in mind, if you're in like a free agent acquisition budget sort of scenario, how much of your remaining budget are you willing to spend on a guy like Hundley? Or is this a 100% situation? Are you a little less aggressive? Where do you think you'll land in that in that regard? Me personally, I, I, I'm never a 100% guy on Fab because especially, I mean, we're only halfway through the season. You're going to need somebody later on. So it's it's unless you have the opportunity to go, you know, pluck off a free waivers first come first serve after the after the blind bids run, then yeah, you might consider going 100. percent But for me, I'm probably going to be looking, let's say, anywhere from 75 to 85 percent, depending on what kind of budget I have left this time, just because I I think in the offense that he's going to play in, you kind of have to go that high to get a player that's going to have that kind of crowd around him, right? Yep. I mean, if, if if we if we saw Tom Brady go down, I mean, how much will we spend on Jimmy uh, Garoppolo? We have to think about it that way. So, you know, or let's say this. What if um, if Alex Smith goes down? What are we going to spend on Pat Mahomes? So in those situations, you have to think you're probably going to put in pretty hard to get that guy. And you've already discussed that, you know, we have a quarterback here that has three years in, in a system already and is stepping into the starting role in a high volume passing offense with an amazing cast of receivers around him, you know, what do you have to lose at this point? So go hard, go get him. Yeah, definitely. And that is a subtle distinction to make. If your league has fab, but it also allows for $0 bids or for actual free agent pickups after fab runs early in the week, then I think it is a situation where you can go the full 100% on Brett Hundley. And you might still miss out on him at that point um, because other people in your league are going to be aggressively targeting him. And if that's the case, then you're going to be hoping that maybe if you were the Aaron Rodgers owner or you need a QB for some other reason, maybe you're hoping for that Pat Mahomes uh, come up and or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to to get a starting gig or any quarterback for that matter. But yeah, it's 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 tricky if you if you have to spend at least a dollar on every pickup. You you're right. You probably can't go full hog on Brett Hundley, but I don't know if you if you need the QB, especially if you're the Rodgers owner, you're going to have to spit a lot of fab his way. Let's let's move on. Let's talk about Jameis Winston. He had a more minor injury, as at least as it's being reported, a sprained AC joint. Uh, might be able to play through it. I would assume he's going to be questionable for Week Seven. Ryan Fitzpatrick got in there in Week Six and performed pretty well. I mean, he delivered his you know Yolo Fitz magic interceptions, of course, but threw a couple touchdowns and generally scored enough points to be relevant. Not that anyone was starting him. If Winston is out, how comfortable would you be with Fitzpatrick in Week 7 against Buffalo? Uh, I'm not comfortable at all with him going to Buffalo. Now, some people may say that's a revenge game for him, but, you know, he could say that in pretty much every NFL city. <laughs> so, you know, my opinion on, on Fitzpatrick is if he's starting, yeah, maybe I'm not going to spend any fab on him, really. I'm going to see if he slips through waivers personally, because I think if it's probably just a one-week deal that, that he's out, maybe two weeks. And I, I don't want to chase a quarterback for that kind of time for any kind of fab budget unless I absolutely have to. You know, it's the issue with a guy like Fitzpatrick is his inaccuracy creates problems for his offense, um, particularly players like Deshaun Jackson, who I, I'm not going to say he needs an accurate passer, but as a deep ball specialist, you know, you kind of have to put the ball in the vicinity for him to succeed. 
And I, I just don't know if that pairing works very well. Now, a lot of people say, well, Winston's inaccurate as hell, too. And you're probably pretty right about that. And, you know, we haven't seen a lot of fruits of that labor with Deshaun Jackson already between the two of those guys. Um, you know, for a guy like Mike Evans, I, to me, that's a guy that, that Fitzpatrick is just going to destroy with targets because he knows he can throw it anywhere in like a, you know, I heard Calvin Johnson described one time as the two car garage, because that was the amount of square footage that he could cover with his, with his reach. And I think Mike Evans is kind of the same way. I think he can cover a lot of space with his, with his arm, with his arm length and his hands. And that's a guy that Fitzpatrick is probably just going to shove a lot of targets at. So if, if you feel like Tampa Bay is going to be behind and Fitzpatrick is going to have to throw a lot, then yeah, he's probably worth chasing. And I think against Buffalo this week, it's probably going to be a pretty low volume game for both teams. I don't see the scoring getting really out of hand. I think, you know, both teams could maybe reach the low twenties. And in that case, I'm probably going to opt for another quarterback. Yeah. I think the one interesting part of this for me is that Fitzpatrick kind of does profile in the same way as Winston as a guy who isn't highly accurate is mostly just kind of going to stand in the pocket and make his receivers work for him. System-wise, I think that's good, right? There's a system in place for him to succeed, but we know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's not a guy I want to put a whole lot of trust in. Uh, and the Buffalo defense has been pretty solid this year. I mean, kind of surprising to most of us, I'd imagine, but I they're, they're coming off a bye as well. This isn't a great spot for the Bucks. I expect them to be running the ball as much as possible to try to limit Fitzpatrick's impact on the game. But you never know. I mean, we've seen crazy things happen all season. Maybe this is another one where Fitz, Fitzpatrick comes in and, you know, does his thing and, and, you know, has some mistakes, but throws enough, you know, quality passes or at least passes within the vicinity of, of the two-car garage for Mike Evans to, you know, make him viable as a fantasy starter, at least for week seven. I'm not anxious to do it, though. Uh, next up, Brian Hoyer benched in the second quarter of his game against Washington. C.J. Bathard named the starter moving forward by Kyle Shanahan today. This is a big shakeup, but it is something that we kind of expected to happen eventually. What is your outlook for Bathard? I, I think it's pretty dismal. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens this week when he gets all the first-team reps and see how he comes out. But I'm, I'm not very optimistic here. I think this is basically trial by fire for Bathard to see if, if he can even play at the pro level. And I... I from what I've read, I don't I haven't seen any film on on this kid, but from what I've read, he didn't have a very prolific college career, um, and usually that doesn't bode well in the pros. So we'll see. I, like I say, I I have a lot of shares of Garcon across the league because I thought San Francisco would be a little more competitive. And the sad thing is they've been very competitive and they just haven't won close games. So you know it seems like the uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch got together and said, okay, well, if, if things are looking kind of bleak, you know, in Washington on Sunday, let's, let's change the guard and see, and see what Bathard can do. And we'll just roll with him moving forward if, if he manages to stay competitive. And he did. So again, this is a guy I'm not really going to waste any budget on just because I don't see a lot of upside. I mean, the team's already losing and they weren't scoring a ton of points as it was. So I don't see really where the, where the boost is going to come by inserting Bathard. He did look pretty good against Washington, but Washington is a pretty good matchup as well. Moving forward, the schedule for the Niners is not pretty. There are a lot of teams here where I think game script could become a very big issue for Bethard. Like They're going to put him into situations where they know he's throwing and they're really going to be able to capitalize on his mistakes. 
before the bye in week 11, the Niners faced Dallas, Philly, Arizona, and New York. And while only really Philly, I mean, the Dallas defense isn't all that great. So I think Bethard this week is semi-interesting. I don't think that the Niners defense is going to be able to stop Dak Prescott, even like with or without Ezekiel Elliott, depending upon his status to the point where, again, if, if Bethard is known to be throwing in passing situations, yeah, I just worry that they're just going to be able to key in too much on him and force him into to big mistakes, interceptions, fumbles, sacks, things like that. And, you know, beyond that, the defenses get better and better. At Philly is a tough matchup. Arizona's defense has been not great, but they've been good against bad quarterbacks. The Giants defense kind of took a step up, you know, not that they lost all those receivers uh, against Denver. Uh, and then after the bye, it's really ugly. Seattle, Chicago, Houston, Jacksonville. Uh, you get one Tennessee matchup in there, but, you know, by week, by week 15, if you were trying to rely on C.J. Bethard, I'm sorry, that's, I mean, but they might be moving on to a third quarterback at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, you just you just don't want to deal with that. I mean, they could always go back to Hoyer, too, right? Yep. At some point, if Bethard just totally looks inept, and I think that's a real possibility. You know, I will say this, with, with them drawing Dallas this week, that game could be pretty interesting because, you know, Dallas's offensive line has not played well, and we've seen teams come out of the bye this year and just totally stink. And, you know, Atlanta was a great case in point of that this weekend against Miami where they just they just look lost for, you know, three quarters of the game. And so I think that San Francisco is going to be able to put a lot of pressure on Prescott. Now, granted, Prescott's good at dealing with it, but I think they're going to put enough pressure on Prescott where they're going to stay competitive in that game. And all Bethard's going to have to do is make a few throws because the Dallas defense is terrible. And there's enough talent around Bethard that if they're staying close in the game, that he could go out and win a game this weekend. He's got a great coach scheming it for him. So I, I think they're going to be able to do some things against Dallas. He might be a sneaky streamer this week just because there's no real film on Bethard yet. So defenses, the Dallas defense especially will not know how to defend this kid. And, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say go out and stick him in your cash lineup on DraftKings, but it might be worth it in a two QB league. If you desperately needed a guy and you miss out on somebody like Hunley or even on Fitzpatrick, Bethard might be worth a shot for one week. Yeah, I agree that he's a sneaky streaming candidate, but I'd go the other way on the Cowboys offense and Dak Prescott. I think they're going to be just fine. This 49ers defense is really not that good, especially against the pass. And, and he's Prescott's a guy I'll be all over this week uh, in DFS and, you know, just he'll be high in my rankings. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the last two QBs I want to touch on are, you know, the bad quarterbacks. Bad quarterbacks are bad. We know that. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky only threw 16 passes versus Baltimore. Somehow they won that frigging game. It's unbelievable. Kevin Hogan threw it 37 times, finished with only 27 more passing yards than Trubisky. Which one of these guys would you rather have going forward? Because, I mean, we see both sides of the coin here, right? Cleveland's still going to keep throwing the ball a ton for whatever reason, even though they know their QBs are horrible. And the Bears are going to try to protect their QB by running the ball a ton. Does volume win out for you here? Um, I think so. But the problem with the volume is it comes with so many turnovers. And it's clear that Cleveland does not care about turning the ball over because they, they allowed Kaiser to do it for so long. Hogan threw three this weekend. So, and, and against a really, you know, uh, laboring Houston defense, he threw three against them. So I don't know if necessarily chasing volume is the right thing to do in this point, because at this point, because Trubisky, while he is limited on his volume, when Chicago gets behind, he will have to throw. And I think that the offense around him 
is going to be, I'd say, secure enough where they're not going to let him make a ton of mistakes and get the team in trouble. And they're going to put him, uh, let's say, in an advantageous throwing situation where, you know, great, the yards may not go through the roof, but they're going to give him an opportunity to get one or two touchdowns and maybe even use his feet a little bit um, to move the ball a little bit. So I, I, in this case, I would rather have Trubisky just because they're going to be a more competitive team and they're going to give him a more advantageous throwing situation. Yeah, and like we talked about with the Niners perhaps going back to Hoyer at some point, the Browns could go back to Kaiser at some point. We don't know that mm-hmm. Hogan's going to hold on that job. So I agree with you, Trubisky is slightly better, but really, if you're relying on either of those guys, that's not very good. Let's move away from quarterback. Let's talk about Adrian Peterson's escape from New Orleans. This is a pretty cool story, to be honest. Like I really didn't expect much for him going to Arizona, but he had a great week six are you buying or selling him, though, after this breakout? I'm probably going to hold. Uh, I, I would not consider buying him because I think the price you're going to pay right now is going to be through the nose, and I think you be, could be getting some false goods. But at the same time, I'm not selling either because I don't know what Arizona's game scripts are going to look like. If I think Arizona's a good team at heart and they're going to be ahead in more games, then I know Peterson's going to get the rock. Because they're going to try to, I mean, they're going to run the ball up their head. They're trying to protect Carson Palmer. I think that's the entire reason they made this trade is that they saw that their running game was not doing enough to keep teams from just destroying Palmer snap after snap. So I think as long as they're ahead on the scoreboard, Peterson's going to get the ball. That's a good thing. But again, you're asking a question of, well, do we think Arizona's going to be ahead enough that it's worthwhile to buy Adrian Peterson? I don't know the answer to that question. That's why I kind of, I'm in purgatory on him right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call, and I own him in SFB, and I'm pretty thankful for it because I, I did hold him through all of the nonsense with New Orleans. I'm not sure how often I'm going to be starting him going forward, though. I, I, ha- I have a feeling I have to start him, at least in, in the matchups that appear to be good, but I think it's going to be a week-to-week thing with him, and I haven't you know really looked at the schedule in depth to kind of forecast that out, and maybe that's that's makes me a bad podcast host, podcast host to not but, figure that out before we start recording. But uh, it's it's an interesting situation. I'm going to be diving in more, and, and I'll have some notes on that uh, in my articles this week for sure. Yeah, and, I, you know, honestly, I think I think you have to hold him through the first bad game script that you think they're going to have. Because if they have a game where they're behind and they're still giving him touches, significant touches, then to me, you've got to hold him the rest of the season because he's going to be a guy that gets the ball. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, if they get if they get in a game this week and um, they end up, you know, just putting Andre Ellington on the field the whole time because they're behind, then at that point I'd be like, okay, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of hit on the value. But now I know that if I think they're going to be behind, I can't start him. And, you know, maybe I can trade him for something else when, when after he has his next good game, you know. Yep. Now, moving from a positive story with Peterson to uh, – I, I just need to rant a little bit because I, I talked last week. I've – tweeted a lot. I've written a lot about how I believe Aaron Jones is the best Green Bay running back. I don't think it's close at this point. And even before week six, I was tweeting about, you know, Aaron Jones or the Packers screwing up the situation between Jones and Ty Montgomery. And they did, man. They, they, they just screwed the pooch. I don't really understand what the hell they're doing. I, I understand that Montgomery was the entrenched starter. Great. I don't care, man. If Jones is the better player, if he's the better fit as the running back, he needs to be on the field more. And he was, to be fair, on the field for more snaps. But in terms of usage, Montgomery got just as many you know, touches, essentially. And that's a problem. When you're trying to use both of them at the same time, 
you're going to make your offense more predictable. If Montgomery is your clear passing down guy and Jones is your clear, you know, rushing situation back, then that doesn't set either one of them up for success. It makes your offense more predictable, easier to scheme against. And what the hell are the Packers doing? Am I crazy here, Josh? Do you, or do you share my frustration with this situation? Yeah, I do. And this is, this is something that had me the most on tilt this weekend out of anything else was just how bad game day management is in the NFL. And this is a, a very good case in point where you have two running backs that are both playing at a very high level. They're very good, but they've been, it looks like they're typecast, right? So as soon as you see one guy come on the field, the defense is already, they're loading up for one player or the other. And a situation like this does not do any favors for a guy like Brett Hundley, who needs all the help he can get during the, probably the first three starts he has to get his sea legs. You know, we saw it with Deshaun Watson this year where, you know, the guy needed two starts to kind of get up to game speed and figure out what the hell he was doing out there. And Hunley's going to need that same thing. And if he's going out there and the the play is a dead giveaway every time they see which running back's coming on the field, it's not going to help him at all. If anything, I mean, it, the, the guys are just going to be calling out the plays ahead of time, and then he's going to be scrambling either trying to audible out and, and getting confused in the process or just getting the play blown up. And, and that's something Green Bay really can't afford to have right now. And it's not as if Jones – didn't show that he could catch passes in the first, you know, full-time action that he saw the previous week. I, I just don't get it, man. You like, you have this guy who's clearly the more talented rusher and he can catch passes and Ty Montgomery is recovering from an injury. Leave Ty Montgomery off your active roster. Let him get healthy. Let Aaron Jones tr try to carry the mail on all on his own because it makes your offense more unpredictable and that helps you know, Rogers stay upright. It's going to help Hudley stay upright. I, yeah, I hope that they figured this out. I hope that they don't continue to, to split this up 50, 50 in terms of usage. Now the snaps are one thing, but yeah, I I'm, it just, it frustrates me because I own Jones everywhere and, and it's, it, yeah, I'm biased for sure. But I'll say now the truth comes out, right? <laughs> no, I, no doubt. But at the same time, like th there is that you have that assumption of rational coaching. Like I, I feel like we as fans can see this stuff. And maybe there's something I don't understand. I'll admit that. I'm, I'm not an NFL coach. Uh, I never played football professionally. I never played football in a competitive setting, to be honest. Like, I played flag football with my friends. That's about it. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we saw Jones succeed. We saw him do it in the feature role. Why take that away from him? Why move away from that when it is working? I, I don't know. I, I'm frustrated by it to no end and we should just move on because otherwise i'm going to get really mad let's talk about golden tate uh shoulder injury sprained ac joint is the speculation that i saw earlier today uh, i think on roto world expected to miss a few weeks it's funny to me how we can talk about Jameis winston having a sprained ac joint and him being ready to play next week and golden tate supposedly has the same injury and he's expected to miss a few weeks maybe that has to do with the fact that you know wide receivers are intended to take hits more often but I, I, whatever. What's the fallout for Stafford here? What's the fallout for the rest of Detroit's offense in your mind? You know, really, I don't think Detroit's offense is going to miss all that much of a beat. I, you know, they have, I think they have enough skill in that offense to survive without Golden Tate for a few weeks. You know, they do have Marvin Jones, who's proven to be very, very good in his own right. I think if he steps into the, you know, the wide receiver one role there, I don't think they miss a beat. Part of that's going to be predicated on Kenny Galladay getting healthy. And if he's healthy enough yeah. to go this week, I think that's going to help their case a lot because then he can kind of assume that Marvin Jones role of deep threat, stretch the field guy. And they still have, I think it's TJ Jones on the roster. 
who steps in, uh, kind of steps in as wide receiver three there and probably fills in some of the slot role. Um, if they decide not to move Galladay or Jones into that spot, uh, Marvin Jones. So it's, um, I don't think they're going to miss all that much. You know, it's, they, that's still a slow moving offense. They're going to keep their pace down. That's something they've done all year long, except for this week when they got so far behind at New Orleans. So it's really, I think it's kind of, other than, you know, folks that own Golden Tate that are going to miss his production, I think from a, like an actual NFL perspective, I don't think that team really misses a beat. Yeah, I think Theo Riddick's probably the guy who's going to gain the most value, but otherwise I agree with you. I think Jones gets a slight uptick, Marvin Jones, right? <laughs> you could, the good distinction you made, TJ Jones is there too. They might actually have to throw the ball to Eric Ebron a little bit too. Man, well, that, that'll be interesting. Let's see if he can catch him, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get into our awards for week six, the boom of the week. Who's the quarterback who outperformed expectations the most for you? You know, for me, honestly, I thought it was Kirk Cousins. You know, we, we had some really good cannons this week. You know, Carson Wentz went out and tore it up on Thursday night, uh, and I, I thought he, he did a marvelous job throwing deep down the field. You know, that was the biggest knock on him coming into the season was could he actually throw past the sticks and down the middle of the field, and he's proven that. He had a fantastic game against Carolina. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Josh McCown here in, in your show notes, and I, I think he had a great game, but we also know that New England is a sieve of a pass defense. Yeah. So, you know, how good was his performance? I don't think we really know until he gets against a tough defense again. Um, you know, some of the other guys that I was stretching with the other ones, man. Don't, yeah, don't even worry about calling them this out. And I'm thinking, you know, Bortles, yeah, well, Ellie's <laughs> defense hasn't been that good. And we got Keenum here. And like, you know, we talked about this, um, Earlier on, that you know, I thought Keenan was going to be in line for a super big day if Aaron Rodgers had stayed healthy. So we obviously that didn't work out. Keenan still did a pretty admirable job, you know, finished almost as a QB one. You know, granted it, the points weren't all that much, but that just kind of speaks to you know what kind of week we had in the NFL. But for me, overall, it was Cousins. I thought Cousins did a fantastic job this week. Granted, he you know he had San Francisco at home in an early kick, uh, you know, but he he went out and did everything on the field. He scored a rushing touchdown. He threw a couple of passing touchdowns. You know, he had something like 330-odd, some-odd yards, you know, passing. He just had an overall great game, and I thought he just really showed himself well for his for his next home team. Yeah, Cousins was awesome. He was actually a guy I wrote up in my rankings article last week, and I think I had him ranked as QB4 based upon that matchup. So in terms of relative to expectations, he actually wasn't that big of an overperformer for me. I will give an honorable mention to Bortles. Uh, you you kind of glossed over him, and, and he didn't do that much. He was QB 13, you know, pending Monday Night Football, scored about 13 and a half fantasy points. But the Rams had been pretty decent against certain quarterbacks, right? Uh, they had only allowed more than 12 fantasy points to quarterbacks in two games uh, before this most recent one to Bortles. He didn't smash that number right, but he did better than Kirk Cousins did against the Rams defense. He did better than Russell Wilson could manage against them. And, and so there's a, a weird takeaway for me here when we're looking at the Rams' defense. They clearly aim to take away the opponent's primary strength on offense, and by and by that I mean running versus passing. So you look at the teams they face so far. We'll throw out week one against Scott Tolzien. I don't think that counts at no. all. But against Brian Hoyer, Dak Prescott, and Blake Bortles, you could tell that the Rams were clearly more worried about stopping the run. You know, those quarterbacks aren't very good. So they said, okay, how are these teams going to try to beat us? They're going to try to, you know, grind out the clock with the running backs, you know, Carlos Hyde, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Leonard Fournette. And so that gave those quarterbacks a little bit more leeway to produce in that matchup against LA against cousins and Russell Wilson, you know, those rushing attacks aren't quite as imposing. So the Rams defense could give a little bit more attention to stopping the pass. 
So I think that Arizona in week seven is going to be a really interesting test case for this. I would bet that they focus on, you know, defending the pass and making Adrian Peterson beat them, but I'm really interested to see how that game plays out. Uh, but for me, the boom of the week was Carson Wentz, uh, QB three over 21 fantasy points. And I have to kind of just give a big mea culpa here. I've been hedging against Wentz all season, trying to qualify his success, but he's been great, man. Top five in average weekly finish, top five in points per game, top five in total points, four top five finishes uh, on a weekly basis, including three on the road where he really struggled as a rookie. And that's been kind of an eye opener for me. Seeing him put those stats up on the road has impressed me and his schedule only appears to be getting better as we go forward. Philly's established that pass first mentality, like they're passing almost no matter what. And that's what I didn't expect. I expected after the blunt signing for them to be a little more active with the running game. And, you know, maybe it was because Sproles got hurt that they, you know, Wentz is throwing more down the field and whatnot, but I was wrong on him and I have to admit that. So, um, mea culpa, Wentz, Wentz was awesome. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And it's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I kind of want to soapbox about myself. And we've hit on it a couple of times already is, you know, coaching matters. And we can, we can see right now that Doug Peterson is an excellent coach of offense. And, you know, what he's done from year one to year two with Wentz is remarkable. It really is remarkable yeah. because he took a kid that could only throw to the sideline three yards down the field and got him to throw deep passes everywhere on the field. And they're very accurate. He's, he's just been phenomenal. And I think a lot of that is probably scheme. And and then a lot of it is him coaching Wentz up. I mean, it's why can't we have more of these guys in the NFL? It's just it's maddening. And we see the same thing out in L.A. between um, Sean McVay and Jared Goff. You know, you see what an offseason with a competent coach can do for a young quarterback. And, you know, we got guys here like Mike Malarkey that can't coach an offense out of its own way. And it's just, you know, we watch this every week and we scream, you know, why can't you guys do something smarter? And I think we just have to come to terms with the fact that the NFL is not going to change. And we're always going to have probably, you know, 25 to 30 teams that just have numb skulls for head coaches. And that's, that's part of the rake of gambling on it, I guess. I think that that is going to change, though. And I think we're starting to see a change. I think McVay is a really good example, you know, in baseball was like this for a long time. I hate to take a football podcast to talk about baseball, but you saw what the Oakland A's did and, you know, that money ball mentality of trying to find market inefficiencies using analytics and more and more football teams are starting to do that. It's not catching on like gangbusters, but we're slowly seeing the progression of that. And I think that Wentz and, and Peterson are another good example of that in action. Um, bust of the week. Who underperformed expectations for you most in week six? I would probably say, um, well, I can't say Aaron Rodgers because he got hurt. But. Yeah, we're going to have to throw out him and Winston for, for injury reasons. And, and that's the same reason like Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't be the boom of the week. That was just completely unpredictable, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I, to me, it's uh, – man, I, I really have to – you know, you've got Matt Ryan and Drew Brees here. And, I, and I'd like to say, yeah, those are easy choices, but it's not their fault. Like, they didn't perform badly. But, you know, in Matt Ryan's case, he had they had an idiot calling plays when they were up 17 to nothing and they didn't do him any favors. And then Drew Brees, you know, his his defense scores three touchdowns. I mean, that's not his fault. I agree. He played he played the game that was in front of him and he did well with the game that was in front of him. So, you know, from a fantasy perspective, yeah, those guys are bust because you're expecting, you know, 18 to 25 points out of him. They didn't get anywhere close to that. Um, I'd say in that regard, I'm probably looking at Drew Brees because, you, you know, 
He's playing at home, and you're expecting to probably get a couple of passing touchdowns and 300 yards. You know, that's just kind of like his, you know, soup of the day. And he didn't get anywhere close to that because his defense decided to score all the touchdowns. Well, the defense of Mark Ingram, right? We finally got the Mark yeah. Ingram breakout that I've been waiting for since week one, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they figured out how to run the ball again. Yeah, I, I think that Breeze is, you know, a fine candidate, if only because, like you said, that you could you look at the box score, you look at the scoreboard, I should say, and you don't look at the box score and you think, oh, they scored that many points, Drew Brees must have gone bananas, and nope, not the case. It was just a weird game. For me, it is Matt Ryan. It's just a a really inexcusable performance coming off a bye at home against a terrible Dolphins team. Like, the Falcons were 11-point favorites against DVOA's 29th-ranked pass defense. They should have done better. And I I understand your frustration with the play calling there. You would expect them to run the ball a lot more, especially after they got out to that lead. Uh, Miami's run defense is pretty solid. I I can't remember the exact number, but I think they're top 10 in DVOA rushing defense as well as adjusted line yards. So... Yeah, I, I can see why they didn't run the ball more. But if anything, that would make me expect Matt Ryan to have a bigger day. And I was really disappointed with his performance. I think we got to throw a, a slight honorable mention to Derek Carr here at QB 24 with under seven fantasy points. But, you know, coming off of injury, Chargers defense is pretty good. I'm not going to hold that one too much against him. W- seeing what they do this upcoming week is, is going to be a big deal for me in terms of how I evaluate Carr going forward because he's been – you know, a really up and down guy. Like in in bat or in good matchups, he's been fine. But in anything close to a bad or a mediocre matchup, he just really has not performed well. Um, anything else from Week Six that you have on your mind that, that's worth noting here, Josh? Well, I was just gonna say, you know, an interesting bust and something we didn't list here was was Brian Hoyer, right? Who sure. Was benched. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, he he had a very good matchup in the Washington defense. Now, granted, they're they're pretty good pass rushing defense, but they didn't have Josh Norman on the field. So, you know, Pierre Garçon should have been able to run free and do however he pleased. So why didn't Brian Hoyer go out and have the same kind of game he had against Indianapolis? Certainly something close to that. And it wasn't anywhere close to that. He went up there and stuck up the joint and, and threw three picks and got pulled out of the game. So, I mean, there were probably a lot of teams that were hedging on him having a good week, and it, that didn't come to fruition at all. So, I, I, to me, it's the more I kind of chew up on that, it's like Brian Hoyer, yeah, to me, he's the biggest bust. I man, I love that actually. I'm glad you brought that up, and I think you might have just moved me off of my Matt Ryan call because I did stream Brian Hoyer in a league, and I streamed him over Case Keenum for that reason. Josh Norman wasn't playing; the matchup looked good on paper. I try not to put too much stock into that West traveling East stuff. I mean, it, it does matter, but you're right; that was a good spot for Hoyer, and he completely crapped the bed. Good call. Um, let's get into the Week Seven preview, and we're gonna start this off by looking for our streamer of the week. And there are some options here who are a little more likely to be owned or uh, who you might be more willing to start every week anyway. I think Trevor Semien, Tyrod Taylor, Jared Goff, Josh McCown are all in that boat as guys who you're willing to start when the matchups are good. Do, do any of those four stand out to you, Josh, as, as a guy you like more or a guy who you like less? I, to me, the guy I like most out of that group is Tyrod Taylor. Just because we've seen Tampa Bay's pass defense, really their whole defense in general just hasn't been good. They got gashed on the ground last week, and then prior to that, they've been gashed through the air by every team they played. So I think Tyra Taylor's kind of like he's going to have dealer's choice against Tampa Bay since he does run so well and he can throw very well when they ask him to throw. I, to me, he, he's the dual threat guy that can really tear Tampa Bay up. So he's kind of like the he's a premier option out of that group. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a little tough to trust him with such limited weaponry around him, but he's coming off a bye, and the Bucks have allowed top five finishes to quarterbacks in three of their five games. This is just a really good matchup, and I think you can look past the deficiencies of that receiving core and, and trust Tyrod this week. I think Semyon's actually a bit of fool's gold. I, I mentioned you know that Chargers defense being pretty good. They really stepped up after a rough opening week since that you know, stinker against Denver, the highest weekly finish they've allowed was QB 17. And that was Carson Wentz, who we've already discussed has you know, been very good this year. They haven't allowed more than 15.1 fantasy points to a quarterback since that week one game. And this little minor injury to Trevor Semien makes them a little more risky. I think this game's a bit of a trap. I think that Semien is, is someone who you might want to stay away from, actually, if you're digging a little deeper. Um, what do you think about Semien? No, I, I agree with that 100. percent I've got Simeon in quite a few of my two B Q, two QB leagues where I where I effectively I did late late round option with that because I knew Simeon would be there for either min price in my auctions or you know pretty much last round as a starter and he's been very disappointing and you know I just I can't believe that they came out of the bye and played the game that they played last night it was horrendous it just absolutely horrendous now it doesn't again go back to the coaching it doesn't make any sense. What happens in these games, these guys come out of bye, it's just like they've forgotten how to play football. And all they did was have five days off. So it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does, you know, on the road at L.A. Maybe he's going to play a good game this week. You know, I certainly think that they have the weapons to win against L.A. and score a lot of points. The question is going to be, is his head right? And can he make the throws he needs to make uh, to make that happen? And I I just don't I just don't know. I don't know what guy's going to come out. Is it going to be the guy that can run a little bit and throw accurately? Is it going to be the guy that we saw last night against New York that just, you know, he didn't know his head from a hole in the ground? Yeah. Goff's another interesting one for me, if only because that Cardinals pass defense has been so Jekyll and Hyde this year. They've really smothered the bad quarterbacks they face. They they took out, you know, Jacoby Brissett, Brian Hoyer pretty easily, but everyone else has performed at least pretty well against them, and that kind of includes what we just saw this week with Ryan Fitzpatrick in garbage time. Do you believe that Jared Goff is kind of a good enough quarterback to deliver against this defense, or would you put him more in that category of Brissett and Hoyer? I, I, I lean towards trusting him, as, as scary as that sounds. Yeah, I trust him because I trust the coach. You know, the coach, they, you know, Sean McVay had one slip-up, you know, when, when they um, – who was it that they played? They were a total smash spot, too. It was, um, it was just an easy girly game, and for some reason it was a Tavon Austin game. But, you know, he, he's kind of made his slip-up. I think – I trust McVay to handle Goff against a tough defense very well. I mean, we saw that, you know, they managed him against Jacksonville and they won that game. And Goff had, you know, he had reasonable statistics for, you know, playing a team like Jacksonville on the road, uh, you know, three time zones away. So I think this week against Arizona, there's some familiarity there uh, between the two organizations. I think Goff's going to be just fine. I think that, you know, obviously they're going to sacrifice one of their receivers to Patrick Peterson and they're going to be able to roll, you know, either Cooper Cup or Robert Woods, um, and they'll be just fine. And they're still going to throw the ball to Gurley quite a bit. So, I, you know, I think they've got enough weapons that Goff's going to be very passable as a streaming option or in two QBs as your, you know, as your QB2. Yeah, Gurley just does so much for him to keep him relevant. You know, the, the, the amount that they can lean on him really opens things up for Goff. Let's talk about some of these deeper options because there are a lot of, you know, deeper streaming plays here that we can look at. Jay Cutler versus the Jets, Blake Bortles at Indianapolis, Kevin Hogan versus Tennessee, Brett Hundley versus New Orleans, CJ Bathard versus Dallas, like we talked about. Is there anybody else here you like? Who's your, your top streaming play from this group? If, if I can get uh, my hands on Hundley, like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm definitely taking him at home versus New Orleans. You know, I think New Orleans is going to be probably in a lot of people's eyes as 
Um, they're going to be a jam play at defense this week against a, you know, basically a first time starter quarterback. And I just don't think that's going to come. I don't think that's going to help them out. I actually think that the lack of tape on Hungley and the fact that Hungley's getting the play at home, I think it's going to really work in his favor. I still think New Orleans has kind of a crappy pass defense. My numbers bear that out. Um, even though Detroit really wasn't able to take advantage of that last week. So I think Hundley's going to be in a really good spot from a, tre- a streaming perspective. And I, like I said, I'm aiming a lot of my fab at him uh, for the rest of the rest of the season because I want to get him this week. I want to have him have an opportunity to throw the ball 35 or 40 times because they may be in a high scoring game. I think that's going to be good for him. I think he'll I think he'll shine with that kind of volume. I actually like all of these options, but the one that I'm most intrigued by is Kevin Hogan against Tennessee. It honestly just doesn't matter who the quarterback is. If if he's starting against Tennessee, I'll stream him. So, like, we, we've seen that bear out enough this season to where even coming off a bad game for Hogan, I'm willing to, you know, go back into the fire with him and, and start him against the Titans. Uh, I, I think Bethard, like we talked about earlier, is interesting. Cutler's the one I'm the most wishy-washy on just because you never know what you're going to get with that guy, right? I agree 100%. I, I I can't start him anywhere if I have him. I, and I don't have him anywhere, thankfully, because then I have to think about it. But, you know, I, I think New York's playing better than their record indicates, especially on defense. I mean, they've been very passable as a professional team so far this year, even though they haven't won all that much. I mean, well, I guess they're, what, 3-3 three and three now. So you know, they're 500 team. They're, you know, they're, they're a reasonable team. I think I think they're going to give Cutler all kinds of problems. And, you know, we've seen Cutler, you know, he managed to win a game last week, but it, it's more like Atlanta just kind of conceded it to him. Um, so I think Cutler's going to have a lot of problems this week with, with the New York Jet pass rush. Uh, I don't think he has – I don't think he has it mentally to, to go out there and, and chuck it like he needs to chuck it to beat that team. You know, he still looks like he's here in footsteps or, you know, thinking about that – thinking about that beat shot with his, with his bare naked bottom <laughs> hanging out in the air. So, you know, it's, um, I just don't know if he's there enough mentally to make that streaming option work. Yeah, I agree. Let's get to our clipboard holder of the week. This is the guy who you might normally want to get into your lineups, but who you're thinking is more likely to be benched in week seven. And there are a few options. It's hard actually, I think to find the more established QBs this week in tough matchups. I think most of the the really good QBs have fine matchups. So we're kind of picking from that middle tier. And I don't know, there are a lot of interesting guys to, to choose. Which one are you most worried about? I would probably say, golly, this is tough. I think the one that, that worries me the most is Rivers against Denver. Just because, we, I mean, we know Denver's going to shut down that entire passing offense and Rivers hasn't he hasn't seemed himself this year. And I don't know if that's because of the way they're calling their plays, uh, how they've structured their route trees. But it, it just doesn't seem like Rivers is the same cat that we're used to seeing. So I think I think he's probably going to be the biggest liability out of this bunch. Yeah, he's interesting to me because he does seem to show up. And this is completely anecdotal and from memory. He seems to show up and play well against the Broncos, from what I remember. Do you, do you get that same impression? I totally do, yeah. I mean, he's a gamer, and that's the. I guess maybe that's the thing I'm not seeing from him this year that I expect to see is the, is that gamer where he just kind of wills himself into a 300-yard passing game. It just that hasn't seemed to be there. Like he he still, I think he has the want to, but the but the you know the body saying, yeah, I can do that for you. I, I just don't see that in him this season. The thing that I like about him in this particular matchup is that even though Denver has those corners to try to take out Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams, 
they have the like the tertiary pieces. They have Hunter Henry. They have Melvin Gordon to attack through the air in different ways, and that that gives me some hope for Rivers. And it's it's weird this week because there are only two teams on by. You're going to have a lot of options. We've already discussed all the different streaming candidates. I will have to choose between Rivers and some of these you know, lesser than types of quarterbacks in a couple of my leagues. And I'm not sure where I'm going to fall on them yet. I need to dig a little deeper. For me, the guy who scares me the most, it's Andy Dalton uh, at Pittsburgh. The not-so-secret secret secret of Pittsburgh's win against Kansas City is that it really came on the back of their defense. I mean, Le'Veon Bell certainly mattered in that game, and the Steelers' offensive play calling was, once again, suspect at times. But their defense, man, it's just it's really good. They're the second-best team at limiting fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. Uh, Passers are averaging under 10 points per game against the Steelers. Only them and the Chargers, uh, just to give you a weird point of reference, have held Alex Smith to under 16 fantasy points this season. And we know that Alex Smith is probably the best fantasy quarterback alive, right? That's a that's a signature Salvatore Stefanini stat. I gotta right? I gotta make Sal happy. I gotta plug the Alex Smith stuff. And thanks to Joe Goodberry, we know that Andy Dalton struggles against common opponents. You know those teams that he faces more often than others, particularly these these divisional teams, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, the ones with good defenses. Dalton's coming off a bye, so that's okay. I mean, I mean, you've actually outlined how that might be a problem for some of these teams, but usually I think that's a good thing. I still don't like him in this spot, especially because his offensive line is a liability. The Steelers entered week six with the NFL's best pass rush, according to Football Outsiders' adjusted sack rate metric. This is a spot where Dalton scares me a lot. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, Cincinnati's kind of a one-dimensional offense, in my opinion. They can't run the ball worth a flip. No, and it's that line. That it, line's terrible. And it's a bad line, and I, I don't think the running backs are any good either. On top of that, it doesn't it doesn't help their case. I mean, they don't they don't have running backs that create their own yards behind a bad offensive line. So it's it's kind of like you know it's just it's two bad things mixed together, and they don't make a good thing. You know, I, I think he's probably like the the number one guy I don't want to play this week for all the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, you know, and I see on your list here that you've got Case Keenum versus Baltimore as a as a guy that we don't want to play. Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I say, or are they? Is that a, is that a guy we don't want to play? I think Keenum's a guy that you want to play right now because I, I don't. I mean, Bridgewater's not ready, I, and I think I think they're pretty much on the verge of putting uh, Sam Bradford on IR once they know that Bridgewater's going to be good to go. So to me, Keenum at, at home, and that's the key for for Keenum is being at home. You know, Minnesota's a totally different animal at that stadium. Than, than they are on the road. And I think Keith Keenum playing at home, especially as Stephon Diggs is back, I, I mean, I think he's liable to put up, let's say, 300 yards on Baltimore, even though Baltimore has a good defense. I think Minnesota's got enough weapons around him and a good enough defense where they can really put pressure on another team. And we know Joe Flacco stinks. Like, he's terrible. He's really bad. So, so you know, this may be a game just like the Green Bay game where Minnesota, maybe they only need to score 21 points to win but they could do the majority of that through the air if they choose. Yep. So, you know, I, to me, Keenum is going to be a prime streaming option this week because it, the defense is so good and they're playing at home against a terrible QB that he's going to have plenty of opportunities with the ball in his hands. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of these other clipboard holder candidates. And the first is Ben Roethlisberger against Cincinnati, you know, opposite of Andy Dalton in that game. And he just, doesn't look good, man. He, even in a game with a one against Kansas City, Kansas City admittedly has a good defense, but Cincinnati's defense is pretty good too. I think this is another spot where Roethlisberger is going to be a little suspect. And then Derek Carr going against Kansas City. I mean, we talked about this earlier. If Carr is facing a decent to good defense, he has not performed well this year. And 
we know that Casey's defense is good. I'm, I'm worried about Carr. I think that aside from Dalton, he's probably the guy I'd be most worried about this, this week, but you never know. He could bounce back late. I'm really interested to see how that game plays out, but short week there. That's, that's, that's a clincher as well. That's something that makes me pretty scared of Carr. Yeah, I agree 100% on Carr. I just, I, I just do not like this, this matchup. You know, Casey kind of wiped the floor with them last year in both matchups. And I think that's going to be the case again this year, especially after they came off that tough loss to Pittsburgh. I think they're just going to go out to Oakland and just totally smear those guys all over the field. Other stuff I'm looking for in week seven. Uh, the first is what the hell is going on with Ezekiel Elliott? Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I think there's a lot of potential, like I said earlier, for Dak Prescott to get unleashed in this game, especially if Zeke doesn't play. I saw this tweet from Adam Leviton uh, a couple weeks ago about the 49ers having the three worst, three of the worst 11 cornerbacks in the league, according to PFF's metrics. So you can pass on the Niners. We know that. We saw Kirk Cousins do it last week, and Dak Prescott could be set up to do that this coming week. The Trevor Semyon thing is interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how he does against that defense. He is a little dinged up. And if he maybe aggravates that injury, if he gets hurt further, are the Broncos really going to continue to turn to Brock Osweiler? I, I mean, it's clear that Paxton Lynch is not their long-term solution. Otherwise, he would have been the starter this year. But Osweiler, man, how does how does this guy keep end up starting when Colin Kaepernick can't get a job? It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, with, with the the issue I have with, with – Dallas unleashing Dak Prescott, quote unquote, is as a former Cowboy fan that I, I have turned in my fan card for them about five years ago. I know that team very well. I know the coaches and they just they just won't do that. They won't turn him loose. And the reason being is that it's still it's a very conservative organization. They don't believe in high volume. They don't believe in high pace. They believe in running, you know, 50 plays a game if you can. And they're going to run the ball and 35 of those if they can. And they really don't have the receivers that that allow Dak Prescott to be unleashed. I mean, they've got Des Bryant and a bunch of a bunch of Jags, basically. I mean, you know, Bryce Butler Bryce Butler has flashed at times. He's caught some long touchdowns, but they won't give him snaps because they like Terrence Williams because he can run block worth a flip. Well, but Terrence Williams sucks as a receiver. <laughs> and then they've got Cole Beasley, who they won't target at all, even though he's shown that he can play in the slot. And excel, they won't target him. Jason Witten looks like he's on the edge of a cliff from an age perspective. And we know that they will throw the ball to Darren McFadden if he's getting running back snaps, but how much are they going to do that? So I think really what's going to happen is if, if Zeke doesn't play this week, I think that offense goes into even more of a shell of itself and just kind of retreats into how can we limit the amount of exposure our offense has on the field until they get far enough behind where they have to unleash Dak. So if you have Dak on your roster, you have to hope that Dallas is getting their tail kicked on the scoreboard so that they have to throw the ball. Otherwise, I think you're just going to be frustrated every week. I mean, Dak has been really good from a fantasy perspective to this point, though. He's, he's been fantastic. Top top 12 every week he's played, scored yeah. about 16 points or more in every game. I, we can agree that he's kind of a no-brainer start in this matchup, though, right? Even if you don't think he has that top three upside. Absolutely. I mean, you have to start him against San Francisco just because San Francisco has been such a a facilitating defense for quarterbacks and and offenses in general that, I mean, you have to start him. Dak's been fantastic. And you have to think that they're letting him, I mean, they force him to play with one hand tied behind his back every game. And he does this well. I mean, what could, what could Dallas be if they would let him play? And that's, it's again, we're going to go back to the theme that we have for the show of just the insanity of NFL head coaching and, and just, the madness of, of mismanagement. And again, you, you have a player like Dak Prescott who 
I, I see Steve Young. I see Dante Culpepper in his prime when I look at Dak Prescott. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy's at 70% of his potential because they won't let him be him. So it's, it's hard to trust that they're going to unleash that guy. Yep. And it, it's just, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I see your point. I, I still will have him ranked really highly. I think that he is in a good spot I think you to have blow to. up. But I think you have to. What else are you looking for in the upcoming week, Josh? Well, I haven't looked at the matchups too closely, but I, I'm really interested in what Drew Brees does on the road, on grass, in yeah. open air, against a Green Bay team that you can throw on all day long. So I, I'm I'm really hopeful that Michael Thomas has a bounce back game. I expect he will because Green Bay secondary is pretty bad. Uh, I I wouldn't be at all shocked if if Michael Thomas has double digit receptions this week, even though Drew Brees' numbers may be more manageable, like let's say in the 250 range. Um, I'm all I'd also like to see um, I'd like to see what Trubisky does this week against Carolina. I think you can throw in Carolina a little bit. We've seen that obviously last week with Wentz throwing deep on him. It'll be interesting to see if, if Chicago actually takes some deep shots against Carolina and lets their quarterback stretch his arm out a little bit. Um, I'd like to see what Bethard does against a bad Dallas defense. It, it at least give us some indication whether he's a streaming option against bad defenses going forward. And it's going to be also interesting to see what Russell Wilson does this week coming out of the bye. You know, it, it usually seems like Seattle comes out of their byes and they're a little bit different team. It's like they kind of figure some things out during the week off and figured out how they're going to run their offense the rest of the season. And that's when they, you know, kind of begin their upward, their upward climb. I'm hopeful that's this week because I'm heavily invested in, in um, Russell Wilson this season, and he just hasn't been paying any dividends yet. I think that their problems stem from that offensive line, similar to Dalton and the running game for Cincinnati. It's just you talked about the importance of coaching. I think that offensive line is that other thing that we don't think hard enough about as fantasy analysts. And yeah, I'm with you. Like I, I have Wilson in a couple spots. He's the one quarterback I was willing to pay up for this season. And I'm hoping, like you hope, that he bounces back starting now. Like, I need him to get better for a couple of my rosters. The Trubisky thing is interesting. Carolina, like you said, has shown some, you know, holes on defense. And they are probably going to be without Luke Keekley in that game. And we've seen that defense, you know, kind of become a shell of itself when Keekley isn't active mm-hmm. in, you know, seasons past. So there's a lot of opportunity there. My concern with him every week is just going to be that Chicago is just going to run the hell out of the ball, regardless of game flow and game script. And they're going to look at this lack of Luke Keekley as an opportunity to give Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard and Benny Cunningham more, more touches. And that's not necessarily good for Trubisky, but he could have that Blake Bortles type of role where they don't ask him to do much, but around the goal line every once in a while, you know, a, a blind squirrel finds a nut. He's going to get some touchdowns here and there, and that does give him, you know, low-end QB2 value. Yeah, and, you know, something we saw with Carolina last week, although I will say Philadelphia did not exploit it uh, the way they could have, is that you can run on them if you're a quarterback. We know Trubisky's a big guy. He's mobile, though. He can run really well. Good athlete, yeah. And yeah, and, and Wentz is the same way. Wentz can run a lot better than he looks when he's in the pocket. And there were some read option stuff that Philadelphia ran where Wentz could have just walked into the end zone a couple of times if he had chosen to keep the ball himself. And I think that Chicago is going to go to school on that tape this week and probably look to maybe run Trubisky at the goal line if the opportunity presents itself. They get deep enough close to the goal line because they know that Carolina is probably going to bite on the running back. And that may present them an opportunity to get Trubisky a rushing touchdown. The, the the point you mentioned with uh, with Luke Keekley being out is actually probably a, a really good positive for the way that Chicago's offense is structured. 
in that they throw a lot to the tight end. They throw a lot to the running back. And you just vacated the best probably coverage spot in their defense with Keekley being out. So that's I think that's going to open up some holes in the center of that defense in the linebacking core that they can totally exploit between uh, the running back and the tight end. So it's a pretty interesting spot this week. I probably won't, I, you know, it's not something I wouldn't play Trubisky in cash this week, but I will certainly look at him as a streaming option just because it's kind of a contrarian play. Uh, the volume may not be there, but like I said, they could pick their spots and they may be able to, to do a lot of damage with Trubisky. Good stuff, Josh. Hey, man, I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, we should wrap this thing up. We've been going on for, for a little while here. We don't want the two-parter this time around. Uh, week to week, we know how much people jam in their, their fantasy content, you know, uh, you know, in between weeks in the regular season. Why don't you let folks uh, know where they can find you, like on social media, and, and tell them about anything else you got coming down the pipe. Yeah, so you know, it's um, I, I haven't been as I would say prolific this season as I have been last. You know, I've I've been really focused heavy on on app building, but you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at fantasyadhd. Uh, I have a website fantasyadhd.com where you can see some of my apps. I have an app that does advanced matchups for every week. I have an app that is an air yard explorer, which may be good for you for a lot of two QB guys to see you know how offenses and defenses profile from an air yards perspective. And I have a play, split, a play splits app that also kind of, you know, lays out how defenses, offenses have plays split against them from a pass and run perspective, what offensive and defensive pace looks like. So those are all on my website. Feel free to check it out. Again, it's fantasyadhd.com. Uh, I'm doing some work for Roto Grinders right now, and that's based around my advanced matchups calculations. And I'm doing a lot of app work for Rotoviz. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm not out on the forefront as much. So if you want to see my work, I'd say go on my Twitter feed and you'll see whatever I've got cooking. Yeah, I'm sure that most people who listen to this podcast, based upon your previous appearances, are already really familiar with your work. But if you are one of those listeners who has not checked out these apps, they are, they're too cool, man. Like I, I really love just fiddling around with the settings. It, it is something you can get lost in because there's so much data to mine and there's so many different angles you can take. There's definitely that, that worry of, paralysis by analysis but man it, it doesn't stop you from digging in and, and these are these are great tools you should definitely check them out um, lots of good stuff if you want to get a hold of uh, me i'm at greg sauce on twitter uh the site 2qbs.com is where you can find all my work as i said at the top of the show we're on twitter uh at 2qbs and you can email us 2qbs at gmail.com in every case when i say 2qbs i spell it out t-w-o-q-b-s if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else, that would be great. Uh, that really helps us promote the show. Uh, don't be afraid about your league mates finding out about this because, you know, even as analysts, we only get, what, like 50 to 60% of this stuff right if we're doing our jobs right? Huh, Josh? If we're lucky. If yeah. we're lucky. <laughs> so, I mean, help me, please. I, I'd appreciate it. And, and help the site. Uh, rate and review the podcast. I, I don't chill for it this hard very often, but this is one of those weeks where I'm, I feel like it. You know, I, I got to get the spread the good word. Um, otherwise, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate your time and attention. We will catch you next week here on the 2QBXP. Adios. Adios.